Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, brought to you today by Josh Edison and Dr. Im Dinter. Hello and welcome to the Podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy. Uh, I am Josh Edison, sitting on my left, Dr. Im Irix Dinter. Uh, well, welcome. I'm, I'm, not, I'm quite curious. Why are you pointing out sitting on... I mean, I always sit on the left. Do you? Well, politically, obviously, we both do. But, but I mean, this is always the position I sit in this podcast. Yes, I suppose you're right there. I can't, I can't follow yeah, that. It just seems like a really I'm weird a, thing I know, I, I, to I point was just out. suddenly imagining I mean, we lived in a world... On my left! Just imagining a world where I normally sit on the right and you on the left. It would be some weird topsy-turvy universe where... Andy Bashago wasn't president yeah, of I mean, America. Yeah, because I, I was weird. thinking the other day that really weird run that Donald mm. J. Trump had for president. Yeah, I mean, imagine, imagine if it actually, actually got in. Yeah. I mean, what a weird world we would have lived in. Mm. But you know, and of course, we can't help but talk about the wonders of the Bill Shorten government in Australia. Yes, yes, I mean, so good. A dramatic election last week. And a frankly amazing select for cabinet this week. Australia looks to be in really mm. good hands with Prime Minister Bill Shorten. It's just an amazing week in politics. Just like when Jacinda Ardern came in and had all of the National Party executed under our new fascist state. Mm, mm. Uh, and I'm particularly glad about Norway winning the Eurovision contest last week. Oh, still, that was still such a, about that, one. that was such mm. a fantastic mm. competition. Mm. I, that was one of the the most astounding Eurovisions I've ever seen, and the fact it was held on the moon. Yeah, Andy Bashago is really delivering as American mm. president. Mm. He said Eurovision would be on the moon. It's on the moon. Yep. I'm certainly glad this is the reality that I live in, and not any other one. Not that there are any others. Obviously, that would make. I mean, that's just science fiction. It's it's true. I mean, I mean there are there are some bad things going on. I mean, it does look as if there's going to be Scottish independence, uh, despite the fact that the UK voted to stay in the EU. Scotland mm. is deciding to leave, uh, and of course the Atlantean forces, which are invading Ireland, very disturbing war crimes going on there. But by and large, yeah. that's really the only bad things happening. Mm. Um, so this episode, uh, we're going to be doing much the same as we did last episode, which we recorded a week ago, we as did. I'm sure you yeah. remember. The fact that we're wearing the exact same clothes we wore when we recorded the last episode is just our commitment to continuity. Well, it's, a, it's, it's a kind of uniform It's, it's we like that, you know, did you know Daniel Radcliffe uh, when he was... When he was <laughs> Sorry, Radcliffe. Radcliffe. When, when he was being Harry Potter, apparently he wore the exact same outfit for like a year or so, specifically to piss off the paparazzi because a photograph that isn't immediately immediately identifiable by the date is much less useful. So he'd be wearing the same clothes all the time, so none of their photos were... So basically what we're saying is we're so, we're so tired of being harassed by the paparazzi that we've decided to go with the exact same wardrobe See, this day. is the point in time where I should rip off my face and reveal that actually I'd been Daniel Radcliffe the entire time. <laughs> Loxham is hard. No, that, that would just be silly. We, we live in a grounded, real universe where Eurovision happens on the moon and Andy Bashago is president. It's true. None, it's there's true. none of the silliness. And if we're going to talk about silliness, we should talk about the news. Yes, I think we should do that right now. Breaking, breaking, conspiracy theories in the news. Now, of course, if we're going to talk about the news, we should talk about 
former vice president, such as Joe Biden. Now, the Republicans are making a punt at trying to get a presidential election successful for next year. And I believe there is a bit of a Republican conspiracy theory going around about old Joe Biden at the moment. Yeah, and pe people, like, it's shown up and people have sort of been predicting that, oh, this is going to be the Republicans' line of attack against Joe Biden. This, this is the soundbite you're going to keep hearing. This, this is Joe Biden's equivalent of Hillary Clinton's emails. Yeah, I think basically. That's what, what they're trying to say. Um, and it's the accusation uh, that he abused his power as vice president, back when he was vice president, um, to protect his son's business interests in Ukraine. Um, so specifically, supposedly, he blackmailed Ukraine's new leaders into firing their chief prosecutor. Anti-corruption Anti-corruption prosecutor. prosecutor, yes. One Viktor Shokin. Shokin, to derail an investigation he was leading into a Ukrainian gas company um, that Hunter Biden, Joe Biden's son, um, was paid to advise. So the, 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 there's a bit of a bit of um, uh, a, bit, a bit of sort of follow the money, connect the dots kind of stuff going on. Hunter Biden's working for this gas company. The guy who's looking into the gas company suddenly gets given the boot. Joe Biden's vice president of America. Connect the dots. It all makes sense, doesn't it? Except that Ukrainian anti-corruption activists are saying this is not true at all. And mm. that some of the events described resemble things that occurred, but they've been interpreted in a way which actually isn't what happened in the Ukraine. And a lot of this is trading on two factors. One... Americans are, I'm sorry to Americans listening to this podcast, you may well be the exceptions, fairly ignorant about international politics. And two, most of the primary sources for this are in Ukrainian, which of course means there's a translation issue and also an understanding issue here. Because the real story appears to be that Viktor Shokin was forced out of office at Vice President Biden's urging for the sheer fact he was failing to conduct investigations of corruptions in the Ukraine, particularly around the 2014 uprising slash coup that occurred in the Ukraine. And basically Biden did this by when he visited Kiev in late 2015, basically threatened to withhold 1 billion US dollars worth of loan guarantees unless Shokin was actually dismissed. And the reason why this is important is that Shokin appeared to be engaging in corrupt practices. So they point out that there were troves of diamonds, cash, and other valuables found in the homes of two of Mr. Shokin's subordinates, which did somewhat indicate they'd been taking bribes. And when this was pointed out, Shokin was very reluctant to engage in any kind of investigation. And this seemed to be a systemic issue with Shokin as a prosecutor, not actually willing to investigate the corruption, which was quite obviously happening around him. Right. So Biden did lean on Ukraine to get rid of this guy, but there doesn't appear to be any... Um, indication that he did it to benefit his son's interests. No, in fact, it. this is where the timeline has been kind of perverted by the story. Uh, so basically, one of the things which really forced Shokin out was the fact that Shokin had failed to pursue, let's say, Environmental and Natural Resources Minister Mykola 
Zolkiewski, who had oversight of Ukrainian energy firms, including the firm that Hunter Biden would come to consult on, a firm called, Bur uh, I think it's Burisma? Burisma. Burisma, mm. uh, which... Z Zlok I, I, I try to always give these things to you to say because uh, I always picked the wrong up. I would say Zlochevsky, but... Zlochevsky, uh, who had been basically secretly controlling this particular firm. Now, once Zlochevsky and his corrupt practices were exposed and he was forced out of office in 2014, the gas company appointed Hunter Biden to the board, but they appointed Hunter Biden to the board after they had forced the corrupt official out. So it wasn't a case of firing someone to protect Hunter Biden. It was a case of getting rid of two corrupt individuals, and then Hunter Biden was independently selected for that board as a consequence to try and get it back on an even keel. Now, I have to say, from... Uh, from our perspective, it still seems a little bit dodgy to oh, have yeah. the president, yeah. uh, the vice, vice president, president. Um, interfering in how another country does its business. But um, but that's what America uh, does. America kind of does that. Yeah, yeah. Again, apologies to our American listeners, but you do have a reputation, your country rather, has, does have a reputation for sticking its nose into other countries' affairs where it, it may, may not possibly belong. I mean, at best you could... I haven't seen this line of argument run, but I assume you could, if, if you're going to take all that on board, you could say that, oh, maybe he, he sort of cleared the way and, and possibly his son got the job sort of in deference to the vice president who obviously had shown himself to have an influence or something or something. But that's not the claim that's being made now, definitely. Um, but we'll see. I mean, nothing seemed to much come of Hillary's emails, but... Uh, he never stopped. We still hear about them now, and she lost that election three years ago. So well, people still complain about Bill Clinton, and he hasn't been mm. president for a very long time. Yes, yes, that's true. Um, well, shall we move on then from the US to France? Indeed. Parlez-vous français, Monsieur Le Baguette? Un peu. You're a cat. No, a, a small amount. You're a small cat. Yes. Okay. All right, tell me about the French situation. Okay, well, so the headline that, I, that, that we have here, in all capitals, was that just because it came from a website? Because <laughs> yeah, it certainly see, it seems, <laughs> it seems, it seems very angry, more it? urgent very than angry. the other headlines we've written down. France takes unprecedented action against reporters who published secret government document. Dun, dun, dun. Yes. So uh, what have we here? Uh, we have a reporter from Radio France and the co-founders of Paris-based investigative news organization Discord. Close is that if it's French, then presumably disclose, disclose, or maybe I don't know, maybe it's something else in French. Anyway, they were called in for questioning at the offices of the General Directorate for Internal Security. Is that because we've talked about the government before, and there's so many damn acronyms. Uh, and when it comes to the secret services and so on, at least America has three-letter acronyms. In Europe, there always there's GCSB, and I can't even well, remember GCSB the latest French. Is, no, sorry, what's the so this is the this is the G, the G, G D I S. Yeah, are they the French? They're the GCSB? of the FBI. FBI, right? Yeah. Yes, I can never I can never keep it straight. And they've come up before. It's like James O'Keefe, the man whose name I'll never forget. Um, Even that you have no idea why you can't remember why you remember his name, just that you remember the I name. I remember him. Yep. Like that you. So what's he famous for? Dressing up like a pimp. 
He, he dressed I, I up like a pimp and destroyed an acorn, from what I remember. Fair enough. So he's I, a man who I hates will, oak trees. I will accept that story. A man who hates oak trees, but cosplays as a sex, not sex worker, owner guy. A sex worker exploiter. Mm. Okay. Anyway, so, yes. As I was saying, so we've got a reporter and co-founders of a news organisation called in by the GDIS, um, and it was all about um, the fact that these, so it's the both, I've, I've got, to, got to get this straight, it was both organisations published stories along with other organisations. Like The Intercept? Mm-hmm. Uh, Mediapart, Art Info, and Conmini News. I don't know who those ones are either. Um, that reveal the vast amount of French, British, and American military equipment sold to Saudi Arabia and the United Arab Emirates and subsequently used by those nations to wage war in Yemen. So essentially, stuff that is embarrassing uh, or, or, or is a bad look for governments, even though governments selling arms to other countries is perhaps not massive news, but specifically relating to yeah, the war you know, in Yemen. Talk and so, yeah, about exactly. That's yeah. the thing. And so they've been hauled in. Yeah, because it turns out there's a 2009 French law that prohibits attacks on national defence secrets and a person is said to commit a crime if they handle a classified document without authorization. So basically, the GDIS is using a particular law which goes to show that freedom of speech with respect to the press is nowhere near as protected as people thought because they go, well, you used official documents for this without authorization and there's no public interest defense. So basically you've broken the law. You have to answer for that. Mm. Yes, as you say, there are there are no exceptions to this law for journalists. There's no public interest defense, which is the sort of thing you might expect to see um, in similar pieces of legislation. Um, and now, so this does appear to be an oversight. This doesn't seem to be a case where the French parliament has actually engineered this law specifically to crush this kind of information because everyone seems surprised this 2009 law applies in this particular case. But this just goes to show that sometimes laws are drafted badly or hastily. Mm. And you get these rather adverse responses, or at least that's the standard reply you're getting from the French government and the media. We are shocked. Mm. We need to change the law. Yes, because despite the fact that these things, th th these omissions may have been unintentional, they've certainly been used. You know, yes, that's, that's the thing. Yes. And of course, any conspiracy theorist of worth their salt is going to go, yeah, that's what they want you to believe. This law was quite deliberately engineered to produce results of this particular kind. Mm, mm. So, I mean, they, they've been, they, they haven't like been charged with anything yet, have they? They've just, been, they just been hauled in for questioning, yeah. which of course has a chilling mm. effect on reporting because of course you're less likely to report on issues of this particular kind if you're going to be hauled in for questioning by the French equivalent of the FBI. Yeah, so I mean, you would assume that since everyone's saying, oh gosh, this is a bit of a surprise, we didn't realise the law worked like this way when it obviously shouldn't, that these people won't be charged. But that of but, course is no guarantee. Yeah, yeah, so it's... Um, I mean, you would assume when a... people made the claim that actually the kind of activities the CIA were engaging in was the equivalent of torture, that the CIA would stop doing that kind of thing. And you would have assumed mm. wrongly. 
Well, yes, in the post-Edward Snowden age, when we found out governments were doing, well, we, we, we uh, received concrete proof that governments were doing the dodgy things that people had always accused them of, yeah. It's one of the few cases to. where pe most people admit the conspiracy theorists were right. Mm, mm. Anyway, okay, something that I hope is going to turn out to be uh, a bit more light-hearted and frivolous. Uh, tell me what Pepe the Frog's up to now. Pepe the Frog is in a bit of a legal bind at the moment oh, because no. Pepe's father, an artist by the name of Matt Fury, is currently in a legal battle with organizations like Infowars for not the ownership, but the use of the image of Pepe the Frog. And I keep wanting to say Pepe Le Pew, because mm. I'm now thinking of, of skunks that have romantic feelings towards cats with mm. white marks painted along their back. Yes. That basically was the plot of every single it was Pepe basically, Le Pew story, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, not a big believer in consent, that guy either. I don't think those, I don't know if those cartoons really hold up in the post-Me Too era. No, no, it's probably best not to mm. go back and revisit those. So yes, there's, there's a dispute between Matt Fury and Infowars in particular because of a 2017 poster which features Pepe alongside Donald Trump, Alex Jones, Milo and others, which Matt Fury says constitutes copyright infringement and Infowars says is covered by the Fair Use Doctrine, particularly uh, protected political commentary. Was this that the deplorables image? Or am I thinking yeah, of a different yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so what's the deal? He's, is it like a musician complaining that Trump used one of their songs at a political rally? Is it that sort of a thing? Or is he actually going as far as sort of copyright using, using my artwork without, your, without my permission stuff? The former. The former. Right. It's a case of I am the owner of this particular work. I did not give authorization for the work to be used in this particular way. As the owner, I have copyright on the image. Ipso facto, you used it illegally. You owe me royalties. Also, stop producing the image. Uh, the alt right response is no, it's A, it's political commentary, but also. There is a question as to whether Matt Fury basically gave carte blanche permission for the image to be used prior to the 2017 poster and is now annoyed about the symbol having been adopted by the alt-right because Pippi the Frog is basically now an alt-right figure mm. despite its the, or, the origins which was an anthropomorphized frog who made his first appearance in a mid-2000s comic called Boys Club. Mm. So yeah, I was going to ask is this guy bothered by the fact that his frog has become a symbol of the alt-right? From the sounds of it, yeah. So the Infowars response is Matt Fury had previously allowed people to use Pepe the Frog for anything, but because Matt Fury doesn't agree with our politics, wants to restrict our particular use, and we're claiming fair use both under protected political commentary, but also he gave Cout Blanc permission for people to use this image any way they like, and no take backsies. Mm. Did he specifically give permission, or did he just not object? I think, I know, I couldn't actually find the quote itself, but I'm fairly sure part of the Infowars 
submission is that there is evidence that he just gave permission use this image any way you like. Mm. Now I you 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 must know more about this than I do. The actual history of the Pepe the Frog as a meme um it's I mean it, it it's it's similar to the, the 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 okay white power thing isn't it? It's so some guys started you decided for no obvious reason to use this frog image in their alt-right memes um, as a bit of a joke, but then the joke ends up essentially becoming reality. Is that yeah, basically? So I mean, in the same respect that the OK symbol is a symbol that was initially it seems used as a joking way to trigger the libs, and has now become a legitimate symbol of white nationalists and white supremacists. Pepe Le Frog was. So keep saying there you go. Frog. I'd, I'd say just go with it. Yeah, like it. it was being used as a way of trolling libs, but now has become kind of the symbol. Now, talking about OK symbols, did you read about Stephen Fry using the OK symbol and the response to that? I did not. We so basically, Stephen Fry uh, was advertising some charity and did the whole OK symbol, and then he was called out on it by his followers saying, probably Stephen, probably wise not to use that symbol because of its association with uh, with white nationalism. And his response was, well, you know, I refuse to allow uh, the symbol to be co-opted by other people. It just means OK. There's, you know, mm. there's no additional meaning. And my response to that was, didn't you host a documentary, Stephen Fry, about language change over time and how how words change meaning with context and the like? And suddenly you're being a prescriptivist about hand symbols when you're a descriptivist about language. That just seems a little bit inconsistent. Yes, I can see his point, though. It's the way... I don't know if you can resist it the way he wants to, but I can understand the desire to resist the, the, the idea that a bunch of assholes can say, hey, we, we've taken this thing now, it's ours now, and everyone's so, hey, that, that was a perfectly nice thing, and now, now I can't use it anymore because these shitheads have decided to make it the symbol. But the fact is, a swastika is a swastika. Yeah. That, that symbol has had numerous different meanings in numerous different cultures. Um, and they, those those just don't matter anymore. Sorry to the, 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 those other cultures. So, I can yeah, I can understand his um, his impulse, but he he probably should know better that you can't fight these things. On the other hand, like how we we, we know that we live in these bubbles, and something that that we and the people we know take for completely for granted and assume is is, is well known can turn out to be actually incredibly trivial and hardly anyone outside our particular bubbles knows it. So I don't know how far along the OK yeah, actually, white that, power that, thing that is. Is, is it point. too late to reverse point. it or not? I mean, I've actually discovered a recent note that whilst we know about QAnon mm. and all of my fellow scholars about conspiracy theory now know about QAnon, when I meet strangers and mention I work on conspiracy theory or what examples, and you mention QAnon, they go, what? Mm. It turns out that actually QAnon is virtually unknown yeah. outside of a certain class of person on the internet. I've had similar experiences with Gamergate as well, which has sort of been this big and and um, a sort of foundational occurrence that's that's formed the basis of a whole lot of stuff that's happened on the internet since. But yeah, talking about that with people who don't work in those particular areas, they're just like, what the hell's Gamergate? I have yeah. no idea what you're on about. Yeah. So, mm. It turns out that yes, there's a whole bunch of things that we think that everybody knows that nobody knows and indeed cares about. Mm. Mm. Um, maybe that should be the motto for our 
this podcast. We talk about things that other people don't care about. Mm. It's actually probably very true. Actually, it probably is, but that's all right. Um, We were once listed on a group on on a list of podcasts that you don't think could have more than a hundred or so listeners, which I think we remarked on at the time. Yes, we did. Mm. Mm. We did. Mm. I mean, we we get on average four times that just by Podbean itself. So, ha, person who said. Hundred um, listeners. We have we have a few hundred listeners. That's fine. By and me. possibly that's even plenty. more mm, due to mm. the way that feeds work. Mm. Anyway, so that's that's um, that's all the news content we had for this episode. It is. It is indeed. But if you're a patron who wants to slug us an additional dollar a month, I'm quite sure that's the right word to use. And I don't know why I said mm. additional do- <laughs> dollar no. a month. On top of the zero dollars you're already giving us. Yeah, that's a dollar Um, more. You'll get to hear about the fact that local journalist Paddy Gower wants a rematch with Lauren Southern and Stephen Molyneux. Then we'll talk about that infamous interview where Ben Shapiro stormed out of an interview with arch-conservative Andrew Neal. And we'll talk about how there's been a $2 billion cancer case against buyer who produce Roundup and what that means, and finally a bit of local news about how a local Labour candidate is outraged to be cited as a Chinese spy. Mm. All interesting things, all things that our patrons will get to hear about and our non-patrons won't, and let that be a lesson. Yeah, so slug us that dollar. Slug us a dollar. I'm sticking to it, slugging that dollar. No, exactly. You, you you, You be the change in language you want to see. Yep, I'm no Stephen Fry. No, no. So, um, I think uh, there's nothing left to say but goodbye and uh, see you next week when we will definitely have recorded, definitely a week will have elapsed in between the recording of this episode and the next one. And of course, as always, at the end of the podcast's guide to the conspiracy. 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 We say hail Andy Bashago because. He has saved our world. He has. Hail Andy Bashago. All hail Bashago. You've been listening to the podcaster's Guide to the Conspiracy, starring Josh Addison and Dr. MRX Dentit, which is written, researched, recorded, and produced by Josh and M. You can support the podcast by becoming a patron via its Podbean or Patreon campaigns. And if you need to get in contact with either Josh or M, you can email them at podcastconspiracy at gmail.com or check their Twitter accounts, Mikey Fluids and Conspiracism. Remember, the truth is out there, but not quite where you think you left it. A little bit conflicted, to be honest.
because we we, we, we we did the whole alternate reality setup, but then talked about real news. Are people going to think that all that news was just stuff we made <laughs> yeah. up? There's going to be a lot of confusion about that for this episode. Uh -huh. There's going to be a lot of confusion about that for this episode. All the news stories were in fact true. Mm. Also, hail Andy Bishago. Hail. <laughs>